0: Troysa, welcome to Leeway Productions' podcast, 10 Minute Musicals. The podcast series all about artist collaboration and Welsh musical theatre. I am Angharad Lee.
1: And I am Luke Hereford. Now, Angharad, last time we spoke, I teased at the possibility of our listeners hearing some of your very own musical stylings from your days as a musical theatre performer. So what have you prepared for us today?
0: Well, because I'd read this script <laughs> beforehand... <laughs> I'm going to turn this on its head, Luke.
1: Oh dear.
0: I'm going to sing little excerpts uh-huh. of the material I used to sing when I was a young pup. And you have to guess the show and the title of the song. Okay. Great. Are you ready?
1: Yes, I'm, I was born.
0: <coughs> Tiny excerpts. Ready? I am so sorry about last night.
1: Uh, vanilla ice cream from She Loves Me.
0: Ooh, well done. Okay. Um, I don't iron his shirts. Uh,
1: nah, flawed, don't know.
0: Oh, oh come on, you can do this.
1: Um, is it, he's good to me. No, 50%. 50%? Percent, yes, 50%. From, um, I don't know, um, I don't the know.
0: Ballroom.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: That, okay, um, this is friend. an easy one. Tall and slender.
1: Uh, the girl from, um, the boy from, oh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't finish, though, does it, the title? It's the boy from dot, dot, dot. What's it from? It's from The Mad Show, actually. Well
0: done. And this was my go-to song. This is the last one. I will try to make you happy.
1: I feel like that's the most obvious one, and I don't know what it is.
0: Gifts of love from the baker's wife.
1: Oh, <sighs> I love the baker's wife.
0: Oh, that was a nice little quiz. I enjoyed that. I,
1: I, I, I thought you were going to get all embarrassed. <laughs> that's unfortunate, isn't it? Well done. Lovely. <laughs> Um, So today um, on our Leeway Productions podcast, we're going to be chewing the fat with two-thirds of the team who wrote Beautiful. Beautiful is a 10-minute musical which was created as part of the very first round of the 10-minute musicals initiative back in 2016 at The Other Room in Cardiff. Beautiful was written by Nicola Reynolds, Patrick Steed and Chris Young. And in a few moments, we will be welcoming Patrick and Chris to tell us about their 10 Minute Musicals experience. But before we do that, why don't we talk a little bit about how 10 Minute Musicals has changed since that first project four years ago, Harrod?
0: Oh gosh, how has it changed? Um, I think the biggest thing to remind ourselves is we've supported over 140 artists so far over the past three years, which is a huge amount of people and a huge amount of partnerships Um, which have been forged and a lot of those partnerships have gone on to do things way beyond leeway so that's really encouraging and what the whole project is about I guess but we've started to take it into the regions so that's um, a big drive for us although you know it came to to an abrupt halt back in March this year yes but we will be picking that back up so we can engage with artists which are embedded a lot more within their communities and find those people who would like to try and and write for musical theatre. And also it's much more of a CPD project um, now, so it's that professional development so that you can dip into a project like this at whatever stage you're at in your career. It's not only for early career artists because you know we can we can become quite stale I think as as artists. Um, uh, not stay. That's the, that's, the, that's the wrong terminology, but we, we yes. can get stuck in our ways, you yeah,
1: know? That's exactly what I was going to say, stuck in our ways.
0: Yeah, so, you know, I would really encourage anybody to... Um, and Peter Cox is a perfect example, you know? Peter's been around for years and has a wealth of experience, but yeah. marrying him up with somebody like um, Matt Holmquist yeah. just... Gave a new lease of life to Peter's um, methodologies. So you know the the those relationships are really important.
1: And I think that's kind of what it's all about, um, and what it's always been all about, isn't it? And you talked a lot in our very in our very early episodes, and in that intro episode we did, which feels like years ago now that we filmed that, um, about how there isn't necessarily an outcome, um, and it is all about those working relationships, which I think is. A good sort of segue into um, introducing our guests, Patrick Steed and Chris Young. How are you both today?
2: Very good, thank you for inviting yes. us.
1: Great, so um, we have Patrick who wrote the music for Beautiful, is that right? Yes. And Chris, what was your role on Beautiful?
3: Me, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I was the, I suppose you could say, producer. Um, uh so we we kind of because Patrick kind of came up with the musical content um Nicola sort of spearheaded the, the lyrical content and then we kind of pulled everything together so we, we sort of arranged it so I sort of arranged it and produced it basically and and did the sound design elements nice
0: so this is, a, this is a really interesting partnership. I think we should explore this a little bit more because, <clears throat> in effect, we've got two composers in this relationship. <laughs> so right. we got Patrick, which, which I knew as, I'd come across Patrick as a musical theatre composer, if we want to box people, not that we want to do that, but you know, and then Chris, I'd come across... Ha, the the way I had described him in my head was uh, like a soundscape artist again we have these but it, you know their practices are way beyond that um, and they will explain it much better than I so I wanted to uh, it was that marriage I was really interested in so I don't know whether Chris can you kind of explain what your practice is?
3: Uh, yeah t- well generally it, d- it does fall in the sort of theatre game anyway it does fall into Sound designer, I suppose, is the 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 box, but um, but I tend to compose or create sound or music from from found sounds and, and a lot of live manipulation of that sound. Um, uh, usually doing things uh, using a software called Ableton. I usually perform with the companies quite often live, so that um, so that all of the sound is is almost DJed live rather than just sort of queuing it. Um, uh, yeah, and like I say, I do, I do a lot of um, sound manipulation and things like that. So we take um, sounds that have been field recordings that have been recorded in, in sessions or in development of shows. Um, and then I'll usually take them and sample them and start reworking them into musical content for whatever the show is. Um, um and for the for the 10 minute musicals things it was it was a, it was a, a new angle for me because i'd i'd always had a little thing in the back of my head that said i wanted to try and write a, a musical or something like that um and so yeah this was a nice opportunity to kind of to try to bring all of that weird <laughs> music concrete sort of ethic into making a a, a musical it was quite nice
1: and Patrick, what about yourself? How would you describe your background as a, as a again not to box, but as a musical theatre composer?
2: Um, yeah, so um, uh, so I wrote a, a musical back in uh, two thousand and thirteen called Stalking John Barrowman. Um and I dabbled in other kind of uh, kind of musical theatre projects uh, since then. I also did a course in London called um, Music and Lyrics that's um, very much follows the formula road you know, this is how musicals work, and this is how how you write uh, them, this is the the format. Um, And it was a really exciting um, uh, journey uh, getting involved with 10 Minute Musicals and working with Chris, because I was definitely in 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 a box of, this is the way it works, this is like my safety zone, you know, these are the rules that I follow to get a certain outcome. And I think I remember having a uh, a chat with you, Angarid, on the, the Monday. It was a, a week long, uh, week long project, um, and you kind of just encouraged, like, I know you've got all these like ways of doing it, but just kind of let it all go for this week and follow this kind of journey, just um, kind of see what else you can kind of uh, kind of get from it. And um, I think that was part of the reason it was so great working with uh, with Chris because I had like one language. Uh, Uh, that I was used to working with. You know, you have your chords, you have your lyrics, you have your structure, all this kind of stuff. And um, uh, in working with Chris, because he was so used to recording sounds and creating uh, uh, music from these sounds, it suddenly was like, I got this extra like sense. So rather than it just being like, oh yeah, this chord's gonna be like A minor and whatever. It was suddenly like, what if this chord was A minor and it was the sound of glass? all the sound of like a blind opening (laughs) harmony and all this kind of like this whole this whole world of stuff that I just never like never thought in before so um, uh, you mentioned at the start that kind of when you collaborate with with uh, people with different kind of skills it can just really open your mind to to different things I think that's the the biggest
0: takeaway I remember that moment and this is the joy in these projects is was it did you have a um what was your object? You you had a bird, did you, Patrick? Um, a flamingo. flamingo. And I I remember you being something happened, clicked, and you were inspired and you went and you went and sat by your keyboard. It's like I got a song. <laughs> and there's that the intervention of right, hang on now. You know, and so it's it's that investigation, isn't it? That we're not always thinking about the arc of something. Mm. Um that Patterns. Patterns are really important, rather sometimes rather than the, the arc of something. And I guess, I don't know, the way I would describe the relationship I saw is this, this pattern of working methodology started to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I'd really love to, if you could unearth what that pattern was a little bit more. I don't know if you can articulate it, but how did that relationship actually work?
2: um so i'd say that the, the kind of the process was very very kind of organic and i think that if i remember this is kind of going back to 2016 isn't it so it's kind of like trying to remember exactly kind of what we kind of what we did but i remember that we spent the monday i think the monday was you and Harry just kind of working with all of us to kind of set us on the right kind of path of this journey and open us up to kind of new ways of thinking and um bringing all the kind of creativity kind of uh, out. And then from Tuesday, Chris and I then worked with Nicola, who's a writer uh, and an actor and kind of director and lots of kind of, uh, uh, kind of uh, strengths. And we worked with a performer, Emma. And I think the four of us at that point kind of, uh, just started kind of realizing what our strengths were in different areas and how we kind of, yeah, organically started to evolve this
1: story and this idea so do you think that during that process that that collaborative process between uh you patrick you chris nicola who isn't here and also your fourth collaborator your performer emma who you acknowledged which i think is is great um do you think in that process you or you each had specific roles or do you, but you keep talking about it being organic so do you think there was kind of there were. Do you know what I mean? Do you, th- do you think there were barriers or boxes within your roles, or were you very much each sharing it
3: equally? Um, it was. It, I, I think we had we had blurred blurred boundaries, blurred nice. boxes. Yeah, we we like we would we were quite happy to leave each other to do specific elements of it, but at the same time, nobody was. No, nobody was against sort of going. Oh, actually, let's do this, or let's try that, or try this line, or try that chord, or whatever. Because a lot of the music and the, the I think the sort of sung parts, the sung lyrics, anyway, were were basically between Emma and Patrick, um, kind of working at the keyboard and things like that. And then Nicola was sort of working on the monologue side of things but then she'd be sort of thinking about what they were doing and then she might kind of try to incorporate a bit of that. And then we might all sort of think about, or brainstorm what kind of sound uh, illustrates particular things. And so there was, yeah, it was, everybody was, everybody was utilizing their own skill, but at the same time, yeah, there was no obligation to only stay in your little field.
1: It sounds like you were definitely feeding each other in that time period, which is really nice to hear. And as we keep saying, it's sort of what it's all about, isn't it? Ten Minute Musicals as an initiative, yeah.
0: and and also interesting. I think Patrick, did you write the the lyrics and Nick wrote the monologue?
2: Yes, I think so. Yeah, if I if I think that far, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. So again, again, it's just you know, um, you know, going back to the the old school kind of book musical. I mean, that would be the standard mode of practice, wouldn't it? You know, that you know, a, ly- a lyric writer compared to the book writer, they're, they're worlds apart. But um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just interesting how you define those roles.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that kind of, yeah, we, we did kind of have those, those roles, but as Chris said, it was all kind of very, very blurred. So like, uh, if I think of um, something that I thought was quite magical about the collaboration, particularly between uh, Nicola and Chris, was there would be these, um, these kind of monologue sequences, but Chris would write this, Kind of almost underscoring that used sounds that reflected words from the monologue. And it was all, you're know more about this than I would, Chris, because it just seems like wizardry. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. Um, but just you were doing it live, but there was stop and start things at
3: different times. Yeah, so some things were pre recorded, and then some things were, we could trigger things at specific points because the, because the the full live version there was a little bit more wasn 't there there was an extra sort of two or three minutes, I think, and then we had this the song um so for the for the initial kind of monologue at the beginning of the live version, uh, I was sort of triggering things live or mixing things live, and then we triggered the backing track for for the actual song cue. but yeah it, it's as i say it 's all about using controllers and things like that, and um MIDI controllers and triggering things live, basically mixing sounds and manipulating the sounds and sampling everything I sampled for that piece was was specifically for that piece, if you get what I mean. So even the sort of um the kind of stringish instrument that's doing the chord progressions in the song is made out of Emma's voice and things like that and manipulated so that it sounded quite haunting and quite weird.
1: This is really interesting to hear as I think, I think with the idea of 10 minute musicals and it being a project where people come and write a musical, some of our listeners would, sorry, I don't know how to phrase this properly, possibly think, Oh, you know, I can't write a musical because I've, I've never done that before. I'm not a composer, but absolutely your background, Chris, is is not that of a traditional musical theater composer. So it's really nice to hear how you, Found your way into that?
3: Yeah, it was, um, <laughs> it was, it was a bit of a fluke. <laughs> <was> a bit... <laughs> but um, but no, as I say, it's always been something that I've loved, um, and I've loved that people that have just done um, just purely audio rock opera, like the War of the Worlds rock opera and things yeah. like that. And concept albums, I think they've they've always been pro- things that really interest me in music, and so with. 10 minute musicals it was like it was kind of the it's kind of the opposite of what patrick was saying that you have you have a specific kind of skill set but i didn't really know if somebody said write a song for a musical i don't i didn't really know how to do that as in like how how do you make it sound like a musical how do you give it a narrative and how do you lyrically kind of do a whole art
1: or something like that in a story. Isn't it so exciting that that we're questioning what does a musical sound like and how do you start writing a musical? It's it's a really exciting time.
0: Yeah, that's another podcast, Luke.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess just a very quick question. So again, thinking about those listeners who might be thinking about composing or writing but don't really know where to start, do either of you as individual artists, I guess both as composers in your own right, have any rituals or kind of any any first steps that you take any time you start writing? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> good question.
2: <laughs> um, I think I, I do have some usual kind of steps that I go through. I, I, I was so conscious when I did the 10 minutes project to kind of go into a completely different space that I was trying to almost not do any of the rituals that I normally do so that I would get the full... Sure. Uh, for kind of uh, benefit from it. But I'm, yeah, quite, even though I'm a really creative kind of person, I, um, I've i got into a head of like, uh, like kind of clarity and structure with creating something. So a little rule that I kind of have when I'm writing a, uh, a song is at the top of, like once I kind of like mold it over and kind of uh, start thinking about, you know, what it is and all that kind of thing, I will write at the top, this song is called dot 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 dot, and it's about dot 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 dot, and it's just a one sentence at the uh, the top of my line because there's something in the title of a song that particularly musical theatre will keep kind of coming back. I think it comes back more often maybe than pop music, or it comes back in in different ways. Um, so having kind of clarity on on you know what it's called will shape the song, and then I think it's really easy to like. Lose what a song is about, you get so wrapped up in creating it that you know, and sometimes what it's about is different from the title as well. So you you could say, you could say, um, this song is called I'm Falling in Love, and it's about loss. So it doesn't need to match the title, but if you've got those two clear things, I think that. That's something that I kind of will, will help navigate my way, I think, around writing a song.
0: And this ties in with, you know, directorially what you do is you find your fundamental statement. Because a musical can be so vast at times, you have to have that one statement. Or question that you're trying to not even trying to <clears throat> answer, but you're acknowledging throughout it, you know, because that keeps you in check as a director and it keeps your whole team in check. So it's the same dramaturgical <clears throat> skill set that you're using, which is great.
1: Yeah. That, spe- that, that specificity is really interesting, Patrick. I, I don't know if you've ever heard Stephen Sondheim talk about when he says, I could never write, if somebody said, write a love song, I could never do that. But if you told me to write a song, sung by a woman in a bar wearing a green dress, she's just missed the last subway home, I can do it. And I think that's really interesting that as an artist, you think, okay, the more specific I can be, the clearer my journey is and like how I can get there is much clearer. And And
0: again, this all ties in with how you work with actors because you try and get your actors away from generalized thoughts. You know, you're looking at your given circumstances, you're looking at your Stanislaskian techniques, you know, and so it's, it, it all ties in quite organically. It's just that we use different language to approach it. What about
3: it's yourself, Chris?
1: Oh, oh, sorry, Patrick, go on.
2: I was it's interesting hearing the like um, uh, your thoughts as like a director and a dramaturg and how it kind of all ties in, because it's all involved with creating the pieces, isn't it, and uh, making sure that the audience feel the right things at the right time and can respond to it.
1: We're just acknowledging that everything is relevant, basically, <laughs> 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 which it is. Uh, any rituals that you have, Chris, as quite a different kind of composer?
3: It changes a lot, um, but the I think the general thing that I start to do is I'll just, it's a bit of a throw everything at the wall and see what sticks and then start peeling everything back off again. I'll, I'll usually throw I usually spend quite a lot of time throwing loads and loads of ideas into a song until I get to a point where I've hit a wall and it's usually I've usually hit a wall because um because I've gotten to that point where I've lost what I was initially trying to do then that's the point where I take everything off it again and go right back to the start but from doing that I seem to have an idea of what I want or what I don't want
0: <laughs> yeah, but I guess you know what's what's what remains, what sticks is what is right for that moment, isn't it? Which is great, yeah,
3: yeah. And then um, it tends to be I have a lot of scraps of ideas, I have loads of scraps of ideas that eventually um, I might have scraps of lyrics and a, a scrap of a chord progression or something like that. Um, and they might be years old, half of these things, but they'll eventually they'll suddenly meld into something that makes sense together um and every now and again yeah there'll be a tune that that sort of falls into your lap but um but it doesn't happen very often i don't find um but i've been quite enjoying particularly during lockdown Um i've been doing a lot of research into just the history of music and the development of music and, and obviously it all goes into musicals and the development of musicals and things like that and and uh, that's given me a lot more inspiration on how to kind of tackle things to to musically make things a bit more interesting. So I tend to it tends to kind of change and flex a little bit my my initial process for making things. Right. If I get bored of something, <laughs> then I'll try and learn something new and do, do a new idea, do, do a new method.
0: <laughs> yeah. but would be it, I'd be fascinated in um, <clears throat> you know having having a week where your practice completely leads the way on the creation of a piece. I'd be really interested to see how, especially, you know, we're looking a lot at VR at the moment, are not we, you know, everything's virtual reality and it feels like your practice fits really nicely with that, but it feels obvious, also feels a bit obvious. Hmm. So, you know, uh, allowing your practice to lead us would be really interesting moving forward. What that would look like and feel like and sound like, I don't know, but... Because we explore narrative differently, then don't we? Hmm. The narrative is a much more visceral experience rather than trying to load it with meaning we think people want to hear.
3: Yeah, that yeah, that could be um uh, an interesting route to go down. Because I do quite like, even though it, like stage is, is still a, a sort of an important part, but um, but yeah, I've been really interested in the idea of. Um, like like writing a musical that was completely in the dark in surround sound or something, and so the sound is just leading you in different directions, um, and theme and things like motifs and light motifs and all of that. Like, could they be could they be just a sound rather than? Well, I suppose a lot of time they are. But as I say, when I was looking at um, film music and things like that, there's it has been going a bit more in that direction anyway. Where it becomes more about, um, yeah, a motif or a theme for somebody it might be more just about a feeling rather than a chord progression. Like there's a nice one with the, um, there's a, uh, the Dark Knight, um, the Chris Nolan Dark Knight with uh, there's an interesting thing with the, the strings that he uses to portray the Joker, because he's such an intense, crazy kind of character. He just has a sound to portray him. He doesn't really have a theme tune. He just has this, um, he had like an entire orchestra basically running razor blades down their violin strings and just creating this ridiculously intense sound. Um, and that was it <laughs> for the joke. You know, so it's, I, I quite like that idea of yeah, moods and feel and textures becoming motifs and like motifs. and.
0: Okay, so this is um, a nice opportunity, I think, to share the video that we've created with you. So this was a little collaboration we had with the MAMT students at Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama. And just to remind you that, you know, we were in lockdown
1: <laughs>
0: um, and we worked with Joe Hood, who was a arranger and kind of music producer on it. So I don't think you've seen this before, have you?
1: Oh,
2: this is so exciting, yes. amazing. Um,
0: yeah, so we we just share the video. It ever slowly insidiously, seriously, this grey cloud looming around us until the red mist descended and you'd Smashed the dreams into a million tiny pieces on that floor. And I take it, make it better again. Do you remember the time when everything had a glow? When we lived in our own perfect world? We'd look on and for hours, tell me I love you with your eyes. Sun was always shining. This is how I remember it. It's never even in those memories. I was happy then. Will we be happy again? Sometimes I'm still in my silence. Not trap. Are this cold? Are we golden? Are my golden boy? What happened to you? What happened to us?
1: What a great first response! <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's amazing, isn't she, Alan? She's incredible. Oh my word!
0: And we gave her such a challenging task there to hold that screen for how long was that four minutes? Yeah, a, a, a static shot there. So she did so well with it. It's such a great really piece.
1: Really good. Uh,
2: so it's so oh, it's always just so exciting because when you kind of like you've written something, create something to then see it it being kind of performed, it just kind of breathes just this extra kind of life and new energy into uh, into a piece. It's, it's wonderful. And it
0: really holds its own as a song because I've got to remind our listeners, you know, these, these are condensed versions of our 10-minute musicals, so you've yes. done a great job into kind of trying to, to harness it and, you know, there's, there's a beautiful song there for somebody to use, you know, it's, you've done
1: yeah. a great job. Lovely. I've, so I don't actually fit what I think is really useful about this, this sort of semi, this um, sort of side project, this sort of condensed 10 minute musicals is that I actually, I don't think I've ever seen Beautiful in its entirety. So, and that was just like a little teaser and that made me think, oh, I want to see the whole thing, which is really interesting that that they kind of, the, these play like a new role as, as a teaser for your full version.
2: And it's been so interesting to kind of like evolve it as well because it's, uh, you know, We last kind of left the project in you know 2016, and suddenly it's 2020, and all these kind of questions of you know everything that's happened in the world since then. You know how are well, You know what we putting into it now. Um, I know, and Harry, you kind of mentioned um, uh, like the whole coronavirus thing and how that impacts kind of uh, people. You know, being trapped in relationships and we're reflecting on that and. and also I think it's interesting when we were looking at creating just a, a shorter version for this project, you kind of go, what, what parts of this are really essential? What parts can we um, kind of let go for now? And, you know, if it was to be a ten-minute school, which bits should we get back or which bits are we take further
0: absolutely it's a really good exercise as well for and i I know you've done this patrick because both you and i were supposed to be at beam this year which was obviously cancelled you know and um you know you have to do your 10 minute pitch of a large scale musical and i don't know if you've ever done an elevator pitch which is a uh, one minute you know so these are really good exercises of how do you condense a two-hour musical into a minute Mm. with story and song (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know that's that's a regular occurrence in musical theatre so it's a really good exercise for that and that it can be done as well
2: yeah and, and it was exciting well to kind of get some fresh ears on the project as well like working with uh joe uh who was doing a lot of the kind of musical direct in and you know he might suddenly say like oh so why have why have you why have you gone with this you know choice for and you kind of go I can't remember really why why I went with that. Maybe maybe it's worth exploring something new with it because <laughs> the whole um, the middle section of that um, uh, of a beautiful uh, for this project was uh, completely lyrically rewritten, inspired by a stream of consciousness uh, exercise that uh, Ellen did, which was which moved the piece more le- uh, further away from being um, poetic and more towards being real. Um, and I liked, I, I kind of liked that kind of evolution.
1: So as we we're talking about evolution, now is a sort of seamless transition moment into uh, some design responses from uh, theatre designer Corey Ship, who unfortunately can't be with us on the call today, but has handed over some uh, wonderful design responses for Beautiful. So we're just going to, share those with our artists now so obviously this is um slightly uncharted territory because we're looking at design responses from a designer but um we're just kind of interpreting them ourselves really here so it's a little bit of um we're going in a little blind but something that corey often talks about is how with this specific exercise of creating A mood board is an initial response from an existing piece that has no plans for production. You can't design for space. So all you can really do is find images and ideas that are evocative to the themes of the piece, um, which is exactly what she's done with this mood board here. Um, So I'm interested to see Chris and Patrick, as you both are so, um, I guess, aware and so um, connected to the themes in the piece, how these images make you feel.
3: I think it's quite interesting. The well, I can hear, I feel like I can hear what parts of the sound might have triggered particular things because we've got sounds of birds and nature and things in the piece, and sounds of smashing and fragmented things. But I quite like the the idea that it potentially meets in the middle with this sort of Romeo and Juliet thing. I quite like the idea of something of it not being modern in a way that it's this kind of old medieval sort of design with a but but kind of I don't know a medieval design with a modern twist, I suppose. I like the image of the, the figure coming out of the wall. I think that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And yeah. and drawn immediately to the to the to the bowl, you know, the cracks and and just your title as well, beautiful, and how we how we identify what beauty is, you know, and especially social media. We don't like to show our cracks, do we, on social media these days, um, or maybe more so these days actually, which is quite nice. Um, but that but these cracks are part of us, a part of our history, and that we shouldn't we should be able to share them in a safe yeah, space. That's what I get from this, I guess. Yeah,
1: and. I think it's, it's interesting ju- just, just actually how, as a director, from a directorial sense, just seeing a mood board with specific images puts you in so many different, it gives you so many different avenues that you can explore. Like you've already touched on it, Chris, like, could it be something more medieval? Or, um, you know, you've got this really abstract image of this, this person coming out of the wall. Is, is there something more, is, is there a theatrical representation of that that you could explore?
0: And also, when I, when, I, when I see this Romeo and Juliet image, it, it, it frustrates me because we, especially as women, we're almost um, kind of trained from an early age to seek this perfect relationship mm-hmm. as if that is our end goal in life somehow, as if we are defined by this image of a perfect relationship, you know, and I guess well, that's what Romeo and Juliet kind of sums up for me and it's. And that image kind of encapsulates that and you know why we end up in such um uncharted territory sometimes as humans that we're trying to pursue something which is un- literally unattainable mm-hmm. and, and we're trained to do that so that's what that image really um evokes in me
1: does that feel like we're in the right ballpark for your sh- your um, your musical patrick and chris
0: I think so.
2: Like, one thing this movie board does really, really well is it kind of, it feels like it, um, uh, it captures kind of what the piece is about. So in certain images, you're going to go, oh yeah, I see how that, and then there's other ones, you know, like the kind of Romeo and Juliet one that like would not have crossed my mind at all. And then seeing that makes you go, ah, oh, it could move a little bit in that way or a little bit in that way. And having those extra kind of influences to inspire a piece, I think it's just, it's nice. I,
0: I love that he's, um, the 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 Romeo character. It's almost as if she's going to push him yeah. off, the, <laughs> off his pedestal. <laughs> They're
2: like wearing masks as well, doesn't it? Which I think is an interesting idea.
1: I would. I wish Corey was here in a way because I would be interested to know why she chose that image of Romeo and Juliet. You know, why didn't she go for a Claire James and Leonardo DiCaprio, and why yeah. did she go for this one? <laughs> or, you know, there are other Romeo and Juliet you could have gone for. I just like Claire James and <laughs> For any of our listeners who are joining us through a non-visual medium but are interested in how Corey's design responses look, you can view this podcast episode on YouTube, but the whole episode is also captioned. So, Patrick and Chris, before we wrap up today's episode, just want to ask what is in store for each of you. Ooh,
2: good question. Um, so obviously the, the whole uh, challenges of being in a lockdown, social distance and all that kind of stuff that are kind of going on at the moment. Um, as I mentioned, uh, we're both involved with uh, a um, event called Beam that's to do with uh, creating new musicals. And I'm working on one at the moment with a writer called Mike Stocks called Cooper's, che- uh, Cooper's Hill, Cheese Rolling and Wake about the festival in Gloucestershire where they chuck the cheese down the hill and everyone chases it. Um, so, working on that uh, at the moment. Um, and yeah, just trying to maintain being a creative person while the whole world has, has gone into a very different different world.
0: But you also run the technical choir, Patrick, is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. So, I've, uh, so it's a choir that uh, is, is kind of obsessed with musicals as well. So they're very kind of fitting. We kind of remix musicals with kind of mashups. Um, and we've had to move completely to uh, a virtual uh, kind of spectrum. And I think for quite a while now, because singing is uh, considered quite uh, dangerous at the moment. Um, so it's been interesting to evolve acquire into being a virtual presence. And actually, I, it's something that even when I'm back to rehearsals in real life, I think I'll continue in some kind of
3: capacity because I have quite enjoyed the, the virtual element to it.
1: What about yourself, Chris? What's next for you?
3: I'm currently uh, just doing some bits and bobs with um, a lady called Claire. A, she, she's a, a, a performing artist slash clowning artist. <laughs> She kind of does stuff all over the world, basically. But um, and we we were going to work together before lockdown happened, and then lockdown happened and completely smashed the whole plan that we had. Um, but we found 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 a new way to work together, which will be nice. So I'll be doing some field recording with her, and then creating a soundscape for a, a performance, and hopefully getting. I, we, I was on tour with um, louder is not always clearer, but again, lockdown put big pause on that so um and hopefully um all being well we can kind of pick that back up again in december uh but it's all dependent on the the travel situation basically because it's all the international dates that, that got paused basically uh so we're, we're still waiting to see what happens but um but hopefully december we can we can kind of kick it back off again
0: i feel like we're all experts in waiting at the moment yeah, okay.
1: It's a shared skill that we've all acquired. Um, Well, good luck, each of you, in your future endeavours. And thank you so much for joining us, Patrick Steed and Chris Young, writers of Beautiful, which was also co-written by Nicola Reynolds. Big thank you to Elan Merion, who performed Beautiful, and to musical director Joe Hood. Thank you also to Corey Ship once again for your beautiful responses to Beautiful.
0: If you enjoyed today's podcast and want to spread the word on social media, you can use the hashtag Hashtag Leeway10pod and tag us at Leewayprods on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook.
1: And a final thank you to you, our listeners, for joining us today. Tune in next week for more exclusive discussions with alumni of 10 Minute Musicals. You may even hear a little bit from my own personal repertoire folder. I'm Luke Hereford.
0: (laughs) And I am Hannah Lee.